Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I'm going to preach a message uh, titled, uh, A Tale of Two Kings, A Tale of Two Kings. But before I get into this message, let me just say a word about the title of this series. Uh, It's called The Gift, which uh, reminds me of why I love this season so much. I I love to receive gifts. As a matter of fact, today I've received many great gifts. Thank you, those of you who have given me a gift. Uh, I've received many uh, in this last season, and as I look back in my life, I've received some really incredible Christmas gifts. Uh, Raise your hand if you've ever received a gift that was so good, like you look back to the person that gave it to you, and you're like, This is unbelievable. I can't believe you did this. You shouldn't have done this. Have you ever had a gift so good you said that? Let me see your hands. Y'all need to get some new friends and some new family members. (laughs) But you know the kind of gift that when somebody gives it to you, you're like, oh my gosh, you shouldn't have. Let me see your hands one more time. Have you ever received a gift that good? Okay. But on the other hand, what about those gifts that you've received? You didn't say it out of your mouth, but when that person gave you the gift, you're thinking you shouldn't have. (laughs) <laughs> like, like this is a terrible gift. I will never wear these socks or this whatever, whatever they gave you. Raise your hand if you've ever received a gift so bad. You didn't say it, but you thought it you shouldn't have. Let me see your hands. Raise your hand if you actually said you shouldn't have. Like, this is terrible. Uh, first service, we had one or two that were honest enough to say that. But anyway, people say, well, it's the thought that counts. Is that true? Is that true? It's actually not. It's the quality. Come on, second service. It's the quality of the gift. I'm just I'm messing with everyone. But hey, truly, this time of year, when we, we look back to the cross, we look back to Christ, how many of y'all would agree that God gave us in Jesus the greatest gift that has ever been or will ever be given? Come on, y'all. His name is Jesus. And our response should be, God, you should have, because we don't deserve him. But how many of y'all are thankful for him? That God had you in mind and gave his best to you. Can I get an amen this morning? Yeah, well, with that said, let's look at this gift. Let's unwrap it today. Y'all want to? Matthew chapter 2, y'all ready to unwrap this gift? Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you're ready, say ready. Let me read this to you. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying... Where is he who has been born king of the? King of the Jews. For we saw his what? His star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Let's pray. Father, help us today understand this text, to understand this word. We, we ask for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord right now if you're comfortable. God, we yield to you. We submit to you. We ask for your help. We need you today, God. And we, we, we thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray today that you would do something so unique in our lives And Lord, I pray that you would change us from the inside out. Jesus, we thank you. You are the reason for this and every season. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, 
Amen. All right. Well, I've got some really good practical stuff to share here in just a bit. But before I get there, uh, would y'all let me teach you for just a little while about the background of what's going on in this text? Would y'all let me do that? Y'all know I asked that question. I'm going to do it anyway. I just want your buy-in, right? Will y'all let me teach for just a bit? Will you lean in to let me teach you for just a bit? And and I want to provide really um, a greater understanding for you of what's going on in this background, and then we'll make some application out of it. But let me take you back for just a minute. If you were to open your your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, and you begin to read, what you'll see there in Matthew 1 is that Matthew, he begins his Gospel with a genealogy. How many of y'all have ever read that before? Matthew chapter 1, and you read the genealogy. And it's, it's basically Jesus' family tree. And if you don't know the purpose of a genealogy, especially the one in Matthew 1, well, you'll read it, and, or if you hear me read it, it's about as exciting as me reading a dictionary to you. Because it's name after name, term after term, uh, person after person, so-and-so fathered so-and-so, and so-and-so fathered so-and-so. And if you don't know the purpose of it all, you're like, okay, can we get to something practical? And you might be even wondering, Matthew, why would you do this to us, you know, if you read through? It starts with Abraham, and then the genealogy goes all the way through the line of David, all the way to Joseph, and ultimately, of course, to who? To Jesus. It's Jesus' family tree. And the short answer to why Matthew did that was this. There were people who were skeptical concerning who Jesus claimed to be. Jesus was the king of the Jews. He was the king of kings. He is the king of kings. He is the Messiah who came to fulfill scripture. We see that in the gospels very plainly. Well, not everybody believed that about him. And so Matthew essentially went to write this genealogy to go generation after generation to show that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the one who had descended from, well, let's go all the way back to Abraham, but let's make it real clear. He descended in the line of King David. And so it had been said hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before that the Messiah would come from the line of David. Well, Matthew traces it out to show, well, Jesus came from that line. And if you go generation to generation to generation, you end up with Jesus. Now, let me be clear. Jesus was conceived by the, come on, second service, yeah, that's right, by the, say it again, the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. Jesus' true father was not Joseph, though that was his legal father. Jesus' real father, of course, is Father God. But Jesus was conceived by the Spirit in Mary's womb. And so Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, but watch this. He was born into Joseph's house, and Joseph was from the line of David. So being born into Joseph's house meant that Jesus was in the line of David. How many of y'all know Jesus was, was born into the line of David, but Jesus was born without the sin of David? Did you get that? He was born in the line of David, in that family, but without the sin of David, which is very important. And so you see Jesus being conceived from above, born from below. Jesus was fully man, fully God. He is our Savior. Matthew, yeah, go ahead. Thank you. You see that? She got it. <laughs> That's a, these are big truths, y'all. When you get that, you're like, what in the world? That's, I don't understand all that, but that's amazing. That's amazing, as I understand it. But Matthew writes to show this. He's out to show that Jesus is who he claimed to be. It's like Matthew's saying, if you, if you don't believe me and just what I'm saying, go, go look in the genealogy yourself. Okay? So that, that's how this gospel begins. Well, 
news got out that the Messiah had been born, the king of the Jews. But Matthew tells us that some wise men from the east, they saw the star in the sky, and watch this, don't miss this. They traveled a thousand miles, probably from either Babylon or Persia, we, we can't be sure, but from a long way away, a thousand miles away or so, and which probably took them over a month. But they traveled this distance, and they came to Jerusalem, and here was their question. They asked, where is he who has been born king of the... Now, this was good news for a lot of people, but this question in itself was bad news for King Herod. Why is that? Well, because King Herod, for some, was seen as the king of the Jews, but King Herod, watch this, he did not descend from the line of David. Check out his genealogy. Herod was a usurper. Herod was very paranoid. Herod was a murderer. He had a lot of issues. Let me say it plainly. Herod needed a freedom group. Does that make sense for those of you who know that? Okay. Herod had a lot of stuff going on he had to process through. Herod knows he's not really the king of the Jews. I mean, functionally, I guess. But he didn't descend from that line. And so Herod hears about this king who had been born called the king of the Jews. And, and so what did he feel? What did he feel? Fear. But let's, let's go deeper. What did he feel? I know he felt this. He felt insecure. Why? Well, because news of the true king was out. And he was afraid that this new king would threaten his rule and his reign. How many of y'all know Jesus will do that? <laughs> And let me just make this as clear as I can. Herod was troubled because he didn't want anyone threatening his throne. How many of y'all know that will preach? Because if we're honest, this is true of us as well. None of us, if we're honest, want anyone threatening our throne. Let me say it even more plainly. We want to be in charge of our lives. And how many of y'all know Jesus will come and challenge that? Jesus was born into this world as the rightful heir to the Davidic throne. In the line of David, without the sin of David, he came to rule and to reign. When Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled, greatly disturbed, fundamentally because Herod was insecure. Are y'all with me? Well, Herod was a madman on one hand, but he was also very strategic he was very smart on the other. He did actually some good things for the Jews. But let's read what happens next. Here, here, here was Herod's response to this news. Matthew 2, beginning in verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a what? Y'all see that? A ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and what? And worship him. Now these, these men are, well, they're the magi. They're called wise men. 
But how many of y'all know they weren't too wise? The Magi, let me break it down for you, were, they were astrologers. They studied the sky, and you could even argue that they were, to some degree, into magic. But th these men could read the sky, they could read the stars, but they couldn't read the situation. Because how many of y'all know, Herod did not want to fall down and truly worship this child. Herod wanted them to find out where he is so Herod could put an end to this child who was a threat to his rulership. Does that make sense? Herod is conspiring to put this newly born, this young child to death because he did not want any competition. And so he empowers these wise men to get the GPS location to do the pin drop to say this is where he is, but deceptively said so that I too can worship him. Now, are, are y'all with me? Everybody good? Everybody good? Y'all good? Okay, watch this. Let me step out of the text for just a second. King Herod died in the year 4 BC, but the spirit of insecurity in Herod lives on to this very day. What do I mean by saying this? Well, life is kind of like going to an amusement park as a kid. For some rides, there is a height requirement. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, especially if you go to Dallas or to some bigger city with the big carnivals, big festivals, big rides. To get on some of them, your kids have to meet that requirement. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And maybe as a kid you remember that. You gotta be tall enough. You gotta be, you gotta be old enough. You gotta stretch and get your head over that line to qualify to ride the ride. In other words, there is a qualification. And then if we're honest, there was, of course, a time in all of our lives when we were too short. We didn't, watch this, we didn't measure up. Now, take something so silly like that and think about our lives as adults today. We grow up from being children to, into adults, full-grown adults. We, we grow taller, but isn't it crazy how, as we do, on the inside, over the years, we can feel even smaller? Meaning, we feel like, in many cases, we just don't measure up. And insecurity is a plague. It is a plague that affects everybody at some point. In some cases, drastically. In other cases, minimally. But the point is, we all deal with insecurity at some point in our lives. And it fleshes out in different ways, in different ways seasons. But how about this? If you, if you deal with insecurity, then you can come to church right here, and you can be at peace with yourself and with everyone else as long as there's no competition in the room. Oh, man, this is a tricky one. But if you walk in and you sense that someone is smarter or richer or prettier, or taller, or better, or whatever. <laughs> er, you run out of errs, right? But when you sense that somebody else is that, well, all of a sudden, what do you feel? You feel less than. Every one of you, I can speak for you because this is the human predicament. We've all felt that way at some time in our lives. But see, if you feel that way, you walk into, let's say, church, then, then church is no longer a place to connect. Church becomes a place to compete. And you're thinking about who's around you and how you measure up and if you meet the requirement. And if you don't, then, well, some people just don't even come to church because they feel like they're not good enough to be here. How many of y'all know none of us are good enough to be here? We're here by the grace of Almighty God. He qualifies us to be who we are. 
But let me just speak to that lie. We'll think, well, you know, they're prettier, they're this or that, and I'm not that. And we feel less than when we're insecure. And we'll even avoid church. We'll avoid relationships. We'll avoid situations where anyone else is seen as a threat to our identity. Am I preaching to the right people? Man, I've been, I've been here. I, we, we've all been at this place, haven't we? And I don't mean the church. I mean at this place in our walk. And so in one route, you can walk in, and if you're dealing with insecurity, you see people that are prettier, richer, you, you feel less than. But watch this. You can go into a, another meeting, another place, and if you perceive that you are richer, prettier, smarter, better, what happens? <laughs> you know what happens. You don't think it per se, but you feel better than other people. And isn't this wild? Y'all watch this. Is, we can be so dysfunctional. Come on, can't we all? In one room, we feel like a nobody. In another room, we feel like a somebody. And it depends on what room you're in. I mean, when, when you operate in the spirit of insecurity, you're going to be thrown all over the place. You're up, you're down, depending upon which room you're in. But listen to me carefully. What's the solution? First of all, it's this. That your identity is not based on what room you're in. Your identity comes from what relationship you're in with Jesus. When you're in relationship with Jesus, he tells you who you are and whose you are. And he tells you that you are a blood-bought, spirit-filled child of the living God. And when you know that, you know I don't even deserve to be in the room, but Jesus, you've qualified me to be there. And if you say by your grace I can go, I'm going to go with my chin up, not proud, but confident in your word and who you say I am. So no matter what room you go to, you are the same. You don't change. Your emotions aren't up and down. You are sure of who you are because you know whose you are. Come on, second service. This is good preaching for y'all. You need to hear this. It's not based on what room you're in. It's based on the relationship you're in with Christ. What is the solution to all this? Well, it's that, but it's also this, even more precisely. The solution to our insecurity is the gospel. The gospel. What, what do you mean by that, Pastor Scott? I mean this. The gospel is the great equalizer. We've all played the game. Greater than, less than, equal to. And I'm not talking about early mathematics. I'm talking about life. The gospel is the great equalizer. Here's what it does. It brings the proud down and it brings the lowly up. What do I mean by that? I mean this. That if you're proud and you think you're better than, the gospel will remind you of this very important point. You can have all the things this world has to offer. Good looks, money, riches, all that. You can have everything this world has to offer. But if you don't have Jesus, you are spiritually bankrupt. Can I get a better amen? amen? Bankrupt. On the other hand, if you feel less than, inferior to everyone else, remember this. If you're a believer, you can say, Jesus died for me, and Jesus, he didn't die for junk. He didn't lay his life down for garbage. Yes, you're fallen. Yes, you're broken. Yes, by nature, you're sinful. But how many of you know you're also created in the image of God and therefore valuable in his sight? And God elected you and selected you, drew you to himself because he loves you. So when you're down and you're humble and you realize who you are apart from him, you understand the grace of the gospel and it lifts you not too high, but right where you need to be centered on the cross, centered on Jesus, so you're 
identity is fixed on him. It's not in keeping up with the Joneses. Your identity is, is it's fixed on Jesus, the cross, and what he's done for you. And that defines who you are. Doesn't it? You get this. This isn't a war you win. It's a battle you fight. You got to get it right here. The gospel, it brings the proud down. You think you're better than? Watch out. The gospel will come right into your world to remind you that you are sinful and you are fallen and you are not all that you think you are. But on the other hand, it will lift you when you're humble and you're broken and you're contrite. The gospel is the equalizer. And yes, there are different positions in this world. Some have lowly positions, some have high. Not, not everybody's going to rule at the highest level. Not everybody's going to be a king, Herod, or the president, of course. But no matter where you are in this life, know this, that we all, we all, my brothers and sisters, male and female, black and white, slave and free, wherever we come from throughout history, we all stand equally fallen before God and in need of his amazing grace. We stand equal before him and in need of his amazing grace. So do you see what that will do when you get that to racism? Hello? Any race saying they're better than another? We are the Adamic fallen race, fallen in Adam, but raised in Christ. Broken in Adam, fixed and redeemed and restored through the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And then you begin to see one another, not as people to compete with, but brothers and sisters to connect with. And you stop playing the game of comparison and you put to death that spirit of insecurity. And man, it changes everything in your life. Are you all with me? Boy, this is good stuff. Herod was insecure. He died in 4 BC, but the spirit lives in us in times. And God wants us to crucify that spirit, that flesh, if you will. But the gospel keeps us from becoming inflated or deflated. It compels us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, not on keeping up with the Joneses. Who are the Joneses, by the way? I don't know. It doesn't matter what they have. It doesn't matter what they do, what they are, whoever they are. See, that's what the, the devil wants us to, fo to focus on other people, on, on them, when we're to focus on him. And thank you, Lord, for who you've recreated me to be. Listen, if you don't have their gifts, if you don't have their money, if you don't have what they have, guess what it means? It means you don't need it. And you can give God praise for everything God has given you because whatever you need to accomplish his will is supplied to you through Jesus Christ. So when you put your eyes on somebody else wanting what they have, that's you dishonoring the gift that he's given to you. Are y'all tracking? Oh, yeah, I'm going to preach two hours if y'all don't talk to me. I'm just teasing, but y'all are with me. I get it. I feel it. But check it out. News, news, let's get into the text. News of the rising star led Herod into worry. Notice the contrast. But news of the rising star led the wise men into what? Worship. Herod worried. The wise men worshiped. What a contrast. Wow. What a contrast. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 says, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Verse 10, 
when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly, you see it, with what? With great joy. Now, once again, these wise men, these magi, they were astrologers. Scholars tell us that they probably came from either Babylon or Persia. I mean, let me just make it simple, a long way away, about a thousand miles away. Because in their homeland, the word got out that this important Jewish king had been born. Not Herod, but Jesus. And so based on the knowledge they had and the star that they saw, this is so important that you see this. These wise men, these Gentiles, they traveled a thousand miles to come to Jerusalem to ask this question and then were sent to Bethlehem to fall down before this king. Now, we read things like this, and it's like, okay, sure, okay, great, what's next? But hold on, just hold on. They traveled a thousand miles to see Jesus. How many of y'all know when you see his worth, you will travel as far as you need to. You will do whatever you have to to get to Jesus. And this is so convicting. This should be for many in this community. I'm not trying to be condemning. But they traveled a thousand miles. Jesus, let my heart be right when I say this. There are some Christians in this community who have a hard time getting up on Sunday to drive six miles to church. And you're like, Pastor Scott, I'm here. I I know. I'll see y'all. Thank y'all. And people are out for different reasons. I get it. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying... When you see his worth, you'll do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Even better, thank God Jesus comes to us. And you don't have to come to church just to experience Jesus. But this is the place where we corporately adore, worship, and praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I could do it on my own, but it's awesome doing it with y'all. How many of y'all know he died to create this community? He did. Some people, they don't get up. To travel a couple of miles to come to church. Because their treasure is elsewhere. Hmm, I'm going to let that land wherever it needs to. Let me move on. And put on my bulletproof vest. <laughs> y'all, are the, y'all, I'm preaching the choir as they used to say. Y- y'all are here. Thank y'all for being here. But there's something going on here. Th- these wise men, they saw, they saw something. Even though they didn't have the full picture, they saw enough to be compelled to travel. In hundreds and hundreds of years before, as I'm sure you all remember, there's a prophecy in Numbers 24, 17. Balaam spoke prophetically about the star that they would see in the sky. And Balaam says, I see him. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel prophesied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before that a star would arise. And that star that they saw was, well, the Bible calls it a star, but scholars have debated, okay, what really was it? Was it a supernova? Was it like a planetary conjunction? Some have suggested, well, it was an angel of light in the sky that led these wise men. Others have said, well, it was the Shekinah glory of God. I mean, okay, which was it? Y'all want the answer? Y'all ready? You want the real answer? I have no idea. (laughs) The Bible says it was a star, and that star was not there on accident. How many of y'all would agree with that? 
The star, whatever it was, was there because of God's providential hand. And here's what I want you to see. The star in the sky led them to the sun, not S-U-N, but the S-O-N, the Davidic son, the Davidic king born into the world to set both Jews and Gentiles free. Hey, by the way, thank God for the light that led us to the sun. Thank God for the people, for the circumstances, for the churches, for the people in our lives that God used to lead us to Jesus the Son. Can I get a better amen? amen. Thank God for whatever, God, God, you do whatever you do, you do God really well. How many of y'all know I'm a pretty good pastor, but I make a terrible God? Y'all are great church members, but you make terrible gods. How many of y'all know God is in perfect control of his universe, giving signs, giving stars, sending his son to do what he does, and everything he does is perfect. And we respond out of worship to him, knowing that he's just that good. But here we see, we see this so clearly and plainly, prophecy fulfilled, the star in the sky, Gentiles, wise men traveling a thousand miles from the east, coming to Jerusalem. And I, I, love, I love what happens next. Look at verse 11. And going into the house, now this is not the, the early manger scene, okay? These nativity scenes get it wrong. This is when Jesus was just a little bit older, okay? But now Mary and Joseph are in their home in Bethlehem. Here's what happens. And going into the house, they, the wise men, saw the child with Mary, his mother. Don't miss this. And they fell down and worshipped who? Him, not her. Him and the parents didn't stop them. <laughs> because they knew that this child was special. The wise men fell down and they worshipped. Gentiles who had to have been worn out from their travels. Sometimes we come to church. Sometimes it's a little, you can be a little dry, a little quiet in here. And that's because I get it. We're all tired. Okay? We're tired from our travels. We're tired from the week. But how many of y'all know, when you get your mind into who Jesus is, your mind is engaged. You see him for who he is. That, that empowers you to get up on your feet and praise him, to give him the best that you have to offer because you know he's worthy of it. See, when you see Jesus for who he is, you don't have to be forced or coerced into worship. It's the natural response to him. They fall down. They fall down. They worship. And we're told that they offer gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold. Obviously, gold is gold. It's very uh, precious. And it has a lot of value in ancient culture and today. Frankincense, used in incense, used in prayer. Oh, symbolize uh, the activity of the priest and the sweet-smelling aroma of, of prayers to God. Myrrh was used in perfumes. It was used in burial rituals, scholars tell us. All these gifts were expensive, and I would add fitting for this king. They traveled. They were tired, but they fell down. They worshiped. They didn't take a nap. They didn't say, we'll come back tomorrow. They found him. They fell down, and they worshiped, and they gave their best to him. What a beautiful picture, huh? Are y'all seeing this? Are y'all with me? Notice the contrast. Herod conspired against Jesus, but the wise men fell down before Jesus. Herod brought Jesus trouble, or at least tried to. The wise men 
brought him treasure. Herod saw him as trouble. The wise men saw Jesus as treasure. Herod saw Jesus as competition to eliminate. The wise men saw Jesus as a gift to worship and to celebrate. How many of y'all know they were very wise? And Herod was very insecure. One child, two different responses. And let me add to this, that the local chief priests and the scribes, basically the Jewish Supreme Court members, they were six miles away from this child. But as far as we know, they would not travel six miles to see this child. But these men came from the east, traveled a thousand miles to fall down before him and to offer their best gifts to him. Do you see what Matthew's trying to point out here? Scholars have shown that this is Matthew's way of saying to the Jews, not all the Jews, but some of the Jews who had rejected Jesus in the first century, that if you won't worship the Messiah, I'll bring Gentiles from a thousand miles away. How many of y'all are so glad you were so far away from God, but God brought you 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 miles away from him in the spirit to come to Jesus, to see him for who he is, to be saved from your sin and to be set free from the law of sin and death. He brought you from the depths, from the pit, from your drunkenness, from your darkness. If some don't want him, God will find those who do. And how many of y'all are thankful God drew us by his spirit? He drew us by his word. He put the star in the sky, so to speak, to draw us to the sun. And today, we're saved because of his amazing grace. Come on, second service. These, these, these Jews, not all Jews, these Jews, they wouldn't go see this Jewish Messiah. But these Gentiles did. Wow. Same child. Two very different responses. And as I was thinking about this story, I started to get on to Herod. Like, Herod, like I'm looking at, like, what's wrong with you? Why would you be insecure like this? And I can almost feel, even now, I can almost feel Herod kind of pointing back at me. <laughs> Going, I was about to ask you the same question. Because it's easy to fault, it's easy to fault Herod. It's easy to fault the chief priests and the scribes. But how many of y'all know, let's be honest, there's a little bit of them, or perhaps a lot of them, in us. What do I mean by that? Well, we don't want anyone ruining our rule or threatening our throne. In other words, if we're honest, and if you got to be honest in church. If you're dishonest here, you go straight to hell. There's a trap door right there below your seat. I pull it. <laughs> That's not true. For the, you, I, I think you know that, but just let me qualify. I'm being silly. If we're honest, we really, really want to have full control of our lives. We really, in the flesh, thanks to Adam, thanks Adam. We don't want God telling us what to do. And let me say this. Let me say something controversial. I kind of like doing things. A little eggshell in the omelet. Jesus is very threatening in this way. Jesus was a threat to Herod. He posed a threat to his insecurity, and he poses a threat to ours as well. 
Jesus threatens the spirit of self-reliance. He threatens self-righteousness. He threatens, doesn't he? Self-centeredness. He's after those things, not you, but after those things because he knows those things will destroy you. Jesus came from heaven to the earth to show us the best way, the way of being focused on others, not self. Self, when self is the center, sin will rule your life. Jesus came from heaven to the earth to show us the best way, his way, to remind us that life is not about us. It's about those Jesus died for, us giving ourselves, laying down our lives for them, for one another. But man, if you love yourself in the wrong way, if you're preoccupied with occupying your throne, Jesus came from heaven to the earth to dethrone you because he loves you and he knows he's the best one to rule your life. Oh, and this is, this preaches in every place you go to, but especially, let me say it here. There are many Christians, and I'm not trying to be ugly, I'm just trying to say, say it for what it is. There are many Christians, they love Jesus because he saved them from hell. And let me make it clear. Jesus' blood saves you from the wrath of God and from hell. How many of y'all are thankful for that? About 20 of y'all. All right, what about the rest? You're like, I'll figure it out later. No, of course we are, right? Jesus, thank you for the blood. Jesus, I'm great with you dying for me. We don't, ne we don't necessarily say it this way, but, but I really don't want you telling me what to do. I really don't want you addressing my money or my marriage or my sexuality or my identity. That's, 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 my, that's my side of the fence. You got yours. You're Savior. You stay over here. You save me. You forgive my guilt. You forgive me when I say I'll never do it again. I'll do it again. You, Jesus, you stay there. I, I'm going to call the shots here. Am I preaching to anybody? Someone said, you're preaching to me. I'm preaching to myself, to all of us. This is the human predicament. We want the blood, but we don't want the throne. Thank you for the blood. Hold the throne. Are y'all with me? Boy, this hit me. I'm like, I had that thought. I'm like, Jesus, help me. Because I submit to Jesus. I'm, I, live in, I live in obedience to him. But no one does that perfectly, right? How many of y'all want to obey Jesus? Sometimes, like, if you grow up in a, in a Christian context where it's all about your performance and your obedience and not about his, well, what you lose that long enough, you eventually quit, and you're like, man, I'm not, like, for us, we hear that word obedience, and, like, we can have an allergic reaction to it. Like, I can't do that. But then when you truly get born again, born again from above, by the Spirit, you believe in the message of the cross, the Spirit lives within you, you understand you don't do good works to get saved, you do good works because you are saved. Good works are the fruit, they're not the root. Jesus' good works save you, but we were saved, we were recreated in Christ Jesus for them. And the way that they are brought forth in our lives is by surrender to the King. Is this making sense? There's a lot of Herod in us today, in different seasons. 
and depending upon the temptation or the situation. There's some things it's easy to say no to. And other things, well, you say, what are those things for you, Pastor Scott? You'll never know. But how many of y'all know we're in this together? It's not a war we win. It's a battle we fight by the Spirit. But thank God, ultimately, the battle was won on Calvary when Jesus died for you and for me and rose from death victorious over everything. Let me begin to wrap up. Oh, it's only 12, 12. I've got another 45 minutes or something. No, I don't. Let me, let me land the plane here. This time of year, it happens. It happens every year this time of year. Put it up on the screen here. We see this, this word. You see it? Now, some of y'all are like, you're crossing yourself like, ah, that word. Because you understand it to me. Well, that's taking the Christ out of Christmas. Have y'all heard that before? Like somebody got on to me a couple years ago. I posted it on Facebook. They said, don't. They, this person basically said, don't do that. I can't believe you did that. that that's taking the Christ out of Christmas. Because you have that X. That's X and Jesus out, right? Some people say. But can I help everyone? Maybe, maybe you know this. Maybe you don't. Let me, let me say that, that X, that's actually not an X. That historically is the first Greek letter of the Greek term Christos. It's a he. Don't try to say that. You'll spit on your neighbor. But it, it's a Greek letter. Looks like an X, but it's not. It's a Greek letter for Christos, Christ. And so when we put that in front of Moss, it means Christ what? Y'all got it? So, so can we clear that up for the world? Like, let the world know. Someone said, I'm still not going to write it. <laughs> How many of y'all are like, I'm still not going to do it? Okay. But listen, we don't take the Christ out of Christmas by replacing Christ with a so-called X. We take the Christ out of Christmas when we fail to see Christ for who he truly is. And when we fail to see him for who he is, he gets pushed to the side instead of taking central place in our lives where he belongs. That's how we take the Christ out of Christmas. That's how Christ gets pushed out of our lives beyond Christmas. But Jesus is the Christ, which means the anointed one. He is the anointed Messiah who descended from the line of David. He is the promised child. He is our crucified Savior. He is our risen King. And he's not only our Savior, thank God he's that, but he must also be our Lord and the rightful heir to the throne of our lives. How many of y'all know he deserves that place in our lives? Is that rightful place in your life as a believer? He is God Almighty. And as one man said, Jesus, he's Lord of all or he's not at all. Meaning we don't get to compartmentalize what areas that we surrender to to him too. We don't get to say this area, but not that area. It's not a cafeteria line. We say, Jesus, you're the king of all. You're the Lord of all. And so I'm surrendering to you to speak to every area of my life. I'm surrendering my throne. I'm giving it to you because you are the rightful ruler of my life. We all have this battle to fight because let's be honest, we can read about Jesus in the Bible but fail to treasure him 
in our hearts. And again, I say this all the time. My name is Scott and I'm your friend. I'm not speaking down to you. I'm saying I'm with you. Boy, it's easy to read the Bible and just not be moved by it. And it's hard to be moved by something you don't understand, right? Over the years, maybe you haven't been moved because maybe you just didn't understand. And that's why God has gifted the body with teachers and preachers and commentaries. And I go in my kitchen. I go in my, my office, my kitchen. I prepare the meal. I, I serve it. And I, you shouldn't just rely on me, but it is my job and my joy to serve the word in a way where you see Christ for who he is and respond with a heart of worship. And I can't control the condition of your heart, but I can control the content of my message, which is all about Jesus. And I'll tell you, I told the first service, here's, here's why I love to preach. I love to get up here and yell at everybody, telling you all how awesome Jesus is. With veins coming out, I'm sorry if I yell too much, but I'm, this is not just a message that I've written. This is the life I live. This is Jesus to me, and I pray he'll, this will be Jesus to you, that you'll see him and savor him in all of his white, hot, blazing glory and be changed forever by him. That's the big reason why I love to preach. Because Jesus is all that, isn't he? Isn't he amazing? I mean, the words just like we say, man, that house is amazing. Like, that building is amazing. Like, man, this is an amazing experience. Like, we take that same word and we apply it to, and, and understandably so, right? But there aren't really enough words in, in the languages of the world to do justice to the worth of the King of Kings. All the wealth and the wisdom and the treasures of this world don't begin to compare to the matchless eternal value of the risen Son of God. May you be mesmerized, moved, and, and may you be mastered by the Master this holiday season. Herod wanted to rid the earth of him. But the wise men, they traveled a thousand miles to fall down before him. Because see, when we see Jesus for who he is, we'll worship him as we ought. When we see him for who he is, we will not see him as a threat to eliminate, but as a gift to celebrate. When we see Jesus for who he is, we, like the wise men, will fall down before him and give our best to him. Not to earn anything, we can never repay him for what he's done. Don't try. But when you give your money and you give your life, that is your way and that's my way of honoring him for who he is. We give our treasure to show that our ultimate treasure is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. Come on, give him praise today if you believe that.